Resiliency Within with host Elaine Miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit traumaresourceinstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine Miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine Miller Karras. Welcome. I'm Elaine Miller Karras, and we are also live on Facebook at Resiliency Within. You can email me at elaine at resiliencywithin.com if you'd like to get a hold of me. I'm very excited about today's show. Um, It highlights a new book that was just published in May entitled Every Memory Deserves Respect, EMDR, The Proven Therapy with the Power to Heal. And it was written by Michael Baldwin and Dr. Deborah Korn, who are here with me today. So the book, Every Memory Deserves Respect, is written with warmth and heart and is about trauma recovery and a therapy called EMDR that um, if you've been listening to my show, Kate Wheeler was on a few weeks ago, who also is an expert in EMDR. Um, But the authors, Michael Baldwin, a client who experienced transformative relief from trauma through EMDR therapy, and, and Dr. Korn, who is a leading expert on EMDR therapy, will discuss the circumstances that brought them together to write the book and the nature of their unique collaboration. Dr. Korn will provide an overview of how and why EMDR works and will share her thoughts on its strengths and its range of applicability. Michael will talk about his therapeutic journey and about the many ways that EMDR therapy enabled him to heal and ultimately re-engage with life and renewed hope and clarity and a firm commitment to self-care. And could I add, you also have written a book about it. That says something right there. And I want to tell, say a little bit more about both of you before we get started. And Michael is an accomplished leader in the communications industry with more than 35 years of award-winning work in advertising. He is the founder and principal of the branding and communication firm, Michael Baldwin, Inc. He also is an author of another book called Just Add Water, which I think I'm going to have to read that one too, an incredibly easy guide for creating simple and powerful presentations. And he lives in the beautiful state of New York. And Deborah Korn, PsyD, is a psychologist, teacher, clinical consultant, and researcher. And oh my, Deborah, you have done a lot with EMDR. I had no idea. She has a private practice in Cambridge, Massachusetts. She's an adjunct training faculty member at the Trauma Research Foundation. And I, I think this is pretty impressive. She's been a senior faculty member for 28 years, 28 years at the EMD, practically <laughs> since the beginning at the yeah. EMDR Institute. And Dr. Korn has authored or co-authored numerous articles and chapters focused on EMDR therapy. And I have to say, many years ago, when I was first learning EMDR, I heard her on those little video cassettes that we used to have. <laughs> and you were talking about developing resources, actually. It was a wonderful uh-huh. little thing. And I, I'm so, it's so exciting to actually get to meet you in person since I heard your voice before I knew you. So she's an EMDR International Association approved consultant and is also on the editorial board of the Journal of EMDR Practice and Research. And she presents and consults internationally on the treatment of adult survivors of child abuse and neglect. So welcome my two guests. And as we get started, the first thing I'm going to ask you is, is there anything on your mind that you want to say first before we start with our kind of prepared questions that we've gone through? So Deborah, I'm going to start with you. Anything on your mind as we get started? 
No, I'm just so delighted to be here, Elaine. I, you know, I'm giving a talk in June in Spain, God willing, at the EMDR Europe conference. And the theme for that conference is resilience. So thinking about talking with you today has got me really excited and really oriented to resilience. So just delighted to be here. Oh my, it's, well, it's, it's great to have you. And I hope you get to actually go to Spain in person. That yeah, sounds like a wonderful trip. And, and how about you, Michael? Is there anything on your mind as we're starting? No, just really glad to be here and, and grateful for having for you having us on your show. And, and, and hello to all your listeners. Okay, well, so let's get started. So where did the idea of the book originate? Let's start with that. So how did this all come to be? Okay, I'll take the first part of that question. Uh, the idea for the book um, came um, when I was in the early parts of my uh, therapy experience with Dr. Jeffrey Magnavita. So Debbie was not my therapist. Uh, Dr. Magnavita was my therapist. And the first time I walked into his office, I didn't know anything about trauma. No therapist has ever mentioned trauma to me at all. And I didn't know, I had never heard of EMDR ever. Um, so as I learned about these concepts about trauma and EMDR for myself, I started to, to sort of conceptualize them with um, the way I do it, with an image and very little text on, on the other side, in kind of a way to sort of cement my own understanding of these concepts as I was learning with Dr. Magdavita. So I'm a, I'm a very, you know, visual thinker. So I thought, well, maybe if I could come up with a way, a really simple and immediate and really visual way to communicate these concepts, which are kind of complex, you know, if you, if you look at any of them or read about any of them in a clinical book, I might be able to do it for the lay public in a really, really simple, very um, easy and immediate, immediate way to understand that was very visual. Um, and so if other people were as uninformed as I was about trauma and of EMDR, it might be really, really helpful for them. So this was the book we created. Um, and so for our listeners, he's showing us the book. And um, so, and I'm just going to say every memory deserves respect. And you're going to tell us something about the, the, the letters of that book. So yeah, it's, that. it's the same letters as the acronym, but I, I wanted to give the, the, the public um, a way to remember the acronym with, with words that were actually in context, but were different words. So it's every memory deserves respect, EMDR. So a little easier to remember. Um, so this is the book that we created. Um, and my, as I referred to earlier, these conceptualizations of concepts. So here's one. So for those of you that are listening, he's showing us a concept. And if you can explain it to our, to our listeners what the concept is. Yeah, it, it basically talks about the fact that um, frozen traumatic memories are like these things frozen in amber. This, in this case, it's a 35-million-year-old flower that's trapped, perfectly trapped, perfectly preserved in amber. So this is about using that image as a way for people to understand how trauma gets trapped in our nervous system. So that, that's one example of what we what call a billboard. There's 60 of them in the book. Here's another one that just talks about how people can, they, they get along as long as they can until the trauma um, and the symptoms just become unbearable. So, Well, um, I just want to I say should... the image in the book is a, is a person holding their hands in front of their eyes. And so it looks, you know, just even looking at the image, it's like it's become unbearable. Like I can't continue almost when I see the, the images. Right. So I can see that one of the things I just want to say that I think is important to underscore for our listeners is making um, healing from trauma 
accessible is so important. And to me, that's one of the foundations of even why we created this this program, Resiliency Within, because we can have amazing um, therapeutic interventions like EMDR, but if the person on the street doesn't mm. know what that is, exactly. eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing, that sounds like, a, I don't know if I want to do that, <laughs> but the way that you just described it, right? With that memory trapped into that, oh my goodness, that amber. Amber. It yeah. really shows how they get trapped inside of our body. So anyway, that exactly. is just that I, I I love that. So I'm, I don't want to interrupt you. You had more to say, Michael. Go ahead. Yeah, just so so I showed uh, several of these to Dr. Magdavita, and he said, Michael, you know this this could be a book. So um, all I needed at that point was to reach out to find an EMDR therapist who was willing to write a book with me, which is at, at face value. Of, uh, you know, it's like why don't you just bring me the the broomstick or the Wicked Witch of the West? That would be easier. <laughs> So I reached out to literally every EMDR, every leader in the EMDR field that was alive, all responded. But Debbie was the one who stuck with me and eventually agreed to join me in this mission. And I have to say, that I'm going to make her blush, but I, I couldn't have found a better co-author. Not well, and, and if our listeners could see Deborah's face, she has a big smile on her face as, as Michael is saying that. So, so, so you found her that way. So I'm just curious, Deborah, what was it like for you to have this, okay, this client is looking for right. <laughs> an expert right. EMDR therapist. And I mean, I think I know I'd have, oh my goodness, is he, is he a person that is, a, you know, good, um, has good values? I mean, is this someone I want to kind of link my name to? So how, how right. did that come about that you- well? Michael's Michael's story uh, and idea for the book were so compelling. He presented himself and his ideas so beautifully from the very beginning. I just couldn't resist. And I I really saw this as an opportunity to create an EMDR book, unlike anything that had ever come before. Like you said, something that's truly accessible, that would explain trauma, explain EMDR, explain the recovery process, and answer the kinds of questions that people new to therapy tend to ask. And, you know, we imagined it as a book that would be um, both for those who self-identify as trauma survivors and those who had no idea why they were so miserable in their lives and just really searching for answers. And we saw it as a book for therapists and a book for uh, other caregivers as well, physicians, lawyers, probation officers, educators to learn about trauma and to be able to to be of greater help to the people within their care. And it's been wonderful collaborating with Michael in writing the book. um, You know, Michael kept me honest. He kept me uh, out of my clinical head, my academic head, helped me simplify language, simplify ideas. So it was truly, we were able to create a book, I think, that was truly for the lay person. Yes. So you really became co-collaborators. And I love the way that you say that because as a clinical person, sometimes not because we're intending to do it that way, but we can talk in language that goes, I think I need to learn language to be able to talk to you. Yes. And so so the fact that you were able to, and and I I really want to also say this because some people say, oh, does that mean that you've dumbed it down? And it doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that. It means that you have put it in language that makes it Again, I'm going to use the word accessible and understandable to the lay yes. to the layperson. But you know what mm-hmm. else? Who else becomes more understandable to is to the academic, <laughs> because absolutely, right. the academic learns another language to explain it to their clients. So, yes. exactly. I mean, when when I saw the images, I can just see this as a book on a therapist's desk, 
that you could open up to share images, to explain in yes. simple visual ways. Is that correct? Is that one of the ideas? Correct. Anyway, so that is, I mean, I got chills right now when I say that out loud, thinking about all the different ways to help to bring things forward. Okay. So let's, let's, uh, I want to continue. So we need to know because there's some people going, okay, what in the heck is EMDR therapy and how does it work? Although I think many people watched Oprah and Prince Harry. Yes, so they yeah. may have seen a little glimmer and that's, I think, bringing it more even into the press. So tell us in your words, how do you describe EMDR? Um, Deborah, yeah. I'm asking Deborah this question. Yeah. Um, so let, let me begin with a little bit of trauma 101. Um, before we launch specifically into EMDR. There's a difference between the way our brain processes a traumatic memory versus how it might process or make sense of ordinary everyday experiences or challenges. We, we process experiences every day without difficulty, all right? We, normal, normal circumstances, we go to a party, we see our friends, we eat good food, we uh, make conversation that night, we go home, we talk to our partner about it, we reflect on it, maybe we have a dream about it that night or write in our journal, but by the next day we've processed through that experience and we've put it up on the shelf, it's in the past, right? Something very different appears to happen when we're talking about traumatic circumstances. When we're talking about trauma, the, the traumatic experience seems to get locked or frozen in the brain and it gets locked with the images the feelings, the sensations, the thoughts that were all part of that original experience. And the brain's information processing system is unable to digest the experience because it's kind of been cordoned off, locked off. And other relevant information held elsewhere in memory, other adaptive perspectives and information, that information doesn't get connected in. It doesn't get integrated, helping the person to make sense or to, to work through what's happened. Then along comes a trigger days or months or years later that activates the memory. And a, a trigger is something that reminds a person of an earlier traumatic event, a sound, smell, image, a feeling, other circumstances. And suddenly that constellation of experience gets activated and the past becomes present. Suddenly the person finds themselves panicky or frozen or feeling powerless or ready to fight or ready to flee, you know, feeling 12 years old again. Um, you know, an example comes to mind as I'm talking, I have a client who was sexually abused as a child and her perpetrator died uh, about 10, 12 years ago. She obviously knows he's deceased, that he's buried under the ground. But anytime somebody mentions his name, when she first came for treatment, anytime somebody mentioned his name or she saw anything that reminded her of him, she would go into absolute panic and absolutely, absolutely start feeling like he was around the corner and was going to come for her again. And then as we did our work in EMDR, she moved to a place where her, her mind and her body came together and she truly knew through and through that he was gone. He was never going to come back, never going to hurt her again. Um, and so, you know, going from, from 
knowing it intellectually and knowing it in a full body integrated way. So that kind of leads me to the next question, which is how would you explain EMDR therapy to our listeners who may not have a background in therapy? Because as you're describing this person, I mean, oh my goodness, she hears the name and she has this reaction. She may not have made sense that just the name itself was the, what was going on in her body and why she was knocked out of her, her, uh, out of her lane and yes. experiencing all those things. Yes. So how, so, you know, when you say it, how would the, how would EMDR cause that integration to happen? How could okay. you explain so that? So let me, let me now tell you a little bit about the process of EMDR and how okay. it works. So EMDR is a memory focused psychotherapy. It was developed by a psychologist, Francine Shapiro in the late 1980s. The first research study was published in 1989. And it's based on the idea that psychological problems are due to the failure to adequately process traumatic experiences. And these unprocessed traumatic memories remain in our nervous system, unprocessed, right? And they affect how we perceive, they affect the decisions that we make, they affect reactions that we have, symptoms that we experience. And we don't want to keep cutting back the weeds and having them grow back again, right? Managing those symptoms, struggling with those decisions, and then a day later, a week later, getting triggered again and getting disoriented, having trouble all over again. We want to get those weeds out by the roots. So we search for touchstone memories, we search for the memories that continue to bear influence in some way. So a new client comes into therapy and they say, I'm struggling with anxiety and panic. I ask them to take me to the most recent experience of that anxiety or panic, what triggered it? And then I have them float back, tracking their body, tracking their emotions back to the earliest time or the first time they remember experiencing anything like that. Once we've identified a target memory, an earliest time or a worst time, we activate the memory through a series of questions. What picture represents the worst part? What's the negative belief that comes with it? The feelings, the sensations. And we introduce sets of back and forth eye movements. So I might ask the client to follow my fingers back and forth, or I might have them Uh, follow a digital light or a ball that moves laterally back and forth in person or online virtually. And we've also found that other forms of what we call bilateral stimulation work in this process. So alternating tones, right? Wearing headphones that go beep, beep, beep. Um, Tapping, I might tap on the client's hands as they sit in their lap. Um, or we might have them do the butterfly hug, which is what Prince Harry demonstrated on international uh, television, where we have the clients, I don't know if you can see, cross their arms over their chest and either tap here or tap on their chest. So tap on their shoulders or tap on their chest. On their chest. And so when you say bilateral, can you explain that in simpler terms? Because bilateral means are you impacting both sides of the brain, right yeah. and left. Bilateral simply thing? means that we're, we're asking the client to orient right, left, left, right, back and forth, right? Um, using both sides of the brain, exactly. And we do sets of this bilateral stimulation usually, that usually last 30 to 60 seconds, something like that. And then we check in. So we say, think about the trauma, follow my fingers. What do you get now? What's coming up? With every set of bilateral stimulation, we ask the client to notice what changes, what comes up, and to report thoughts, feelings, sensations, impulses, insights, 
more details. Um, and we ask the client to just be a passenger on the train, just noticing, just noticing the scenery as it goes by, right? We're not asking them to relive it. We're asking them to observe it or witness it. So that and, means they're not in it and they're not in it as you're correct. taking them through the process. So then it's not as, you know, cause it can be traumatic exactly. to go and do that kind of therapy. So when you're a passenger on the train, it's almost like you're one step removed. It's like you're exactly. seeing it, but it's not like it's happening to me. And that's one of the most critical aspects of this therapy that we uh, we use what we call dual attention, that at all times the client is grounded and oriented to the present, connected to their therapist and their environment, and they're really observing, they're witnessing, they're not reliving. And, you know, we always say to folks, there's no supposeds, there's no shoulds, let whatever comes up, come up. And people uh, process fear, they process grief, they process anger. No two people process in the same way. Some people, for some people, there's a lot of words, a description. Other people, it's, it's a very emotional experience. Other people, there's a lot of things happening in the body and we just track and follow what's coming up in the body. But, um, you know, there's, oppor- there's opportunities as they're processing to invite, I might invite a client to say or imagine doing what they were never able to do at the time. So to speak to their perpetrator or to imagine running away or to imagine fighting back with superhuman strength. So they have a chance to, in a sense, put a new ending on the story and encode that, right? Incorporate that in, we're transforming the memory. So they're going to restore that memory with a new take on it, a new ending. And this seems to be very important. So you're transforming the memory in the present moment. Yes. And because of the way the memory was stored and how you're changing the memory then is actually changing the lived experience now with that memory. Beautifully said, it, Elaine. Yes. Yes. I, mean, I couldn't I have said it better that myself. That is so powerful when that yes. happens. And I think that's one of the synergies, I just have to say, the, that's connected to EMDR. And we often talk about the trauma resiliency model here because that's where they kind of work together too with that yes. body-centered experience of coming into that present moment. Anyway, I always yes. love just talking about this because I want to ask, now this is can I, I, what, what else do you want to say about it? Because there's a question I want to ask about you, but anything more uh, you want to say about EMDR? Yeah, I'll just say just a couple other little things and then we'll hit your question. Um, the distress eventually decreases. We continue with these sets of bilateral stimulation and the distress eventually decreases and the client is able to integrate new, this new perspective, new information, right? And the goal ultimately is to get to a place where they can think about the experience with no distress and with more positive beliefs about new, more positive beliefs about themselves, about the world. And they'll still have feelings about what happened, what they've experienced, but the feelings will be much more manageable. And our approach is very comprehensive. We address past and we address present triggers and we help people reach into the future. So now with this new perspective, this new belief about self, you imagine tackling something in the future, what do you see? How does it look? And we really help people stretch and reach into the future. That, I mean, and that's what I always loved about EMDR because it's not only, it's that integration of the past, but how you are in the present moment and how you can then craft your life in the way that you want it to be without exactly. carrying that back pad 
of the trauma that can weigh you down and not be the best, your, your incredible self that we know is possible. So, you know, I, you know, cause I have this, Deborah, you know, this, we just, just met in the last month. I have just enjoyed, you know, meeting you. And I was, I was saying, boy, if I was, if I lived in Massachusetts, I'd be at your door if I needed therapy. So <laughs> I just want, so how did you decide this was your an intervention that you were going to spend a lot of your life's work towards? What was about, what was it about Deborah Korn that was attracted to this? Ah. Well, I'll tell you, when I trained in EMDR, I was the director of an inpatient women's trauma and dissociation unit. So I was working with women with very severe symptoms, you know, dealing with chronic trauma and abuse, dealing with uh, domestic violence. And, you know, a lot of suicidality, a lot of self-harm, self-injury, and profound hopelessness. And I brought EMDR into this unit and started using it the day after I got trained, which was a little naive, but that's who I was. (laughs) Well, that's what we do when we're young. (laughs) Right. Yes. Right. And it was the early days of really, um, you know, it was the early days of trauma treatment. We were still figuring out a lot of things. But I started seeing incredible transformation in single sessions. You know, people who had struggled their whole lives with post-traumatic stress symptoms, with depression, you know, in a couple of sessions, I was seeing a dramatic reduction in those symptoms. And I had never seen that. It, with any other therapy that I had implemented with clients before. And, you know, that's why I went into this field. I went into this field because I wanted to end suffering and I wanted people to be their best selves. And, you know, that's what I got to see from day one with EMDR. Yeah. So it was really powerful and empowering for you. And yes. also, I think, you know, for those of us that are therapists and, you know, working with people that have trauma is when you see that glimmer of hope. Yeah. It's just like the well that brings us, you know, to the same drinking place together. So we're sharing that hope. So um, thank yes. you for sharing. I mean, mm-hmm. I can just imagine how it, it impacted that, that, um, your, that treatment center forevermore. Well, we used to ha- we used to laugh because once we brought EMDR to the unit, the word spread very quickly. So new women to the unit would hear about EMDR, and people were talking about the dramatic shifts that they were experiencing. And women would come to me and say, "I'll have what she's having." <laughs> <laughs> I want to taste so, that, but yeah. I know there's also this thing. This is almost sounds too good to be true. Yeah. And that's why we're getting ready for our break. And when we come back, we're going to hear from Michael. And we you know, purposely set this up this way because we wanted you all to hear about what EMDR was and is. And also then we want to hear from Michael about his journey and how having this treatment changed the course of his life. So we're going to hear more from him when we come back. And also I, I want us to also touch upon this idea of you know, how does EMDR foster resilience and post-traumatic growth. And I know that we don't have all the time to talk about it at this moment, but even if you can say like one sentence about it now, Deborah, before the break. Yeah. Well, in EMDR, we work on multiple levels and the three levels that are most important is that we work on responsibility and defectiveness, this sense that people carry this feeling that it's their fault. We work on safety and we work on choice, power. Yes. And so people go from feeling defective to feeling like 
I'm good enough, I'm great. And they go from feeling vulnerable and unsafe in danger in the world to feeling strong and safe. And they go from feeling um, you know, powerless, helpless, to feeling like they have choices. Uh, and and choices, as isn't choice so important? Because yeah. all of us that have had trauma, our choice was taken away from us. Yes. So when yes. we have choice and when we're in a container with someone who's creating a safer space for us, mm-hmm. it gives us that that place to be able to do this very, you know, difficult work and also empowering work. So yes. with that, we will um, take our break now. And when we come back, listeners, we will hear more from Michael and Deborah about the healing journey with EMDR. And I just want you to know that their everymemorydeservesrespect.com is their website. So you could even go to it right after the show. All right, we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine miller Karras' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at ResiliencyWithin.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Elaine miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine Miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. So, welcome back. I'm here um, with Dr. Deborah Korn and Michael Baldwin. And we are going to continue our discussion about the healing of EMDR and their new book, Every Memory Deserves Respect. And remember, their website is everymemorydeservesrespect.com, where you can get more information from them. So, Michael, I have some questions for you now. And so we're going to just segue from talking about what EMDR is and the beautiful explanations that that Deborah gave us. Um, So let me start with... um, I understand you sought help many times prior to starting treatment at the age of 61 with your EMDR therapist, Dr. Magnavita. So can you share a little bit with us about your trauma history and about the ways that you have struggled psychologically over the years? Sure. Um, I suffered various forms of trauma or PTSD. So I had physical trauma, I had emotional trauma, I had sexual trauma, and I also had what Doc, I may have called um, willful neglect, which started when I was a baby, I mean, pre-verbally. So a lot of bad things happened to me, but there is no one to go to for help because the people who should have been there to help me were the perpetrators, so they were the problem. So that wasn't, you know, there was no place for me to go. Um, I, I couldn't form any healthy attachments to either of my, my parents. Um, and I had a bully in the form of an older brother at home and I had a bully at school. And, and for anyone who's listening, who's dealt with bullying in childhood, um, you know, like I know, that it's, it's basically living in a state of terror all the time because you never feel safe. Um, I was very hyperactive as a child. I was um, what my mother referred to as accident prone. So I had six or seven like concussions right here. It seemed to always be in the same place on my forehead. On your forehead? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd fall down all the time as a, as a, as a young boy. Um, and my parents were so kind of misattuned with me, with my inner life, with my inner state and my needs, their solution to that problem was just to tape a big piece of industrial string carpeting to my head, um, which uh, looks, it looks kind of comical in pictures, but I'm guessing it was, it didn't make me feel like I fit in with my other friends at the time. I mean, I'm sorry, they, I I thought you were using a metaphor. They actually taped, they taped the, oh oh, my goodness. Yeah, so yeah. at three years old, I was I was walking around with a big piece of industrial. Oh my goodness! So that uh, I mean, that... tapes in my forehead. Yeah. So I struggled um, beginning in the preverbal stages with being alone and being isolated. I, I had I was you know kind of a hypervigilant internal mental state, so I was kind of a short-circuited brain. I couldn't read. I had to go to a special reading school after my normal school day. Um, I had a math tutor and a reading tutor both on the weekends, pretty much um, felt, you know, unloved, unsupported, insecure. And the worst part was a conviction or a belief that I had that would just be worthless. So when all that sort of conspired together and became intolerable, I just disconnected and started to develop a fake or a false persona. And that 
was um, sort of locused around status and becoming like what I would call an, an achievement junkie and a workaholic. So all that was designed to compensate for this, this deep-seated belief that I was worthless. So it's just all compensatory. And could I ask um, one question? Because you said sure. something in the beginning that I, I remembered, and that was that you didn't think you had had trauma. Did I, did I yeah. hear that correctly? Yes. A- absolutely. And, and, and I hope people can relate to this too. Because I, I think this is important because I want our listeners yeah. to really do a deep listen to what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. oftentimes we have all this, all these things that have happened to us, but we didn't say, well, you know, did we have a roof over our head? Uh, you didn't necessarily see this as trauma. No, but, no. Yes. And in fact, I had um, uh, over the course of 22 years about I'd seen seven different therapists and, and none of them ever mentioned or used the word tar or talked about trauma. And, and only until only when I met Dr. Magnavita did I find out for the very first time about EMDR, which I'd never heard of. So well, I, I just want to apologize to you as representing a therapist, Deborah, I think yeah. we both can, that and you now, saw seven therapists and no one ever mentioned trauma to you. Never, right. never. So, but some, but there was a breaking point. What what happened to have you seek treatment when you said you had built this persona? What was it that said enough is enough? Um, well, I was on this sort of self-constructed compulsive treadmill of goal set, goal achieve, status and achievement, and you know, an obsession with status and symbols and, and all those things. And the breaking point was when I lost my high-powered, high-paying job in advertising. And all of a sudden, I felt like I just went right off a cliff. And, you know, because the, the job and the career that had defined me, that literally defined me for me, was gone. Um, so I became frozen. I, I, I felt like I was out, you know, sort of stuck in neutral. I couldn't um, get out of uh, just, I felt just frozen. I couldn't do anything. And this, and this comes from, you know, decades of believing a, a compulsive goal set, goal achieve lifestyle. So it was, it was totally foreign to me. So. I sold my apartment. I sold everything in my apartment. Um, fear, anxiety, helplessness just got worse over time. And on a, on a really bad day, I would feel like, okay, that's me. It's going to be me in front of the drugstore on the sidewalk, you know, homeless and penniless, you know, in, in the city of New York. And, you know, I guess the, the lowest, the, at the very low point, my sister, I'll never forget it, told me on the phone, she said, because I was pretty much at wit's end. She said, well, you know, are you serious about getting help and getting better or not? And she's the one that uh, recommended Dr. Magnita, who was 110 miles away from where I lived in New York City. And her point was, who cares? What, what difference does it make? If you're serious, then you're going to engage with Dr. Magnita. Can I just ask for what, a question? Um, oh, my goodness, you had a sister. So your sister was someone who said, who sounds like she cared yeah. about you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you had you had your sister in your life. Oh, thank goodness that yeah. she said that. 110 miles. It's funny, Elaine. It's funny you should say that because I went through a period as a as a boy, um, and I have several pictures where I went through a phase where my sister, my sister's name is Jennifer, where I wouldn't go to anything or do anything if she didn't go with me. Mm. So she was kind of in a dual role as being my sibling, but also kind of being my in a way, protector. So I was, you know, grateful to have her. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I was just about to say, thank goodness you had her. I'm so that gratitude, yeah. right? Because that's, yeah. you know, one of the things I want to say to our listeners right now, I just want to put something in. You know, I know some of you, this, this is a hard story to hear. And some of you have lived this story and lived components of this story. And I, and I want you to remember that 
there's sometimes there's a sister, sometimes there's mm-hmm. someone. And maybe that was a person that even with everything that happened, that kind of like, oh, thank God I have that anchor. Just like you said, I wouldn't go anyplace unless she was there. So yeah. right now, I just want to in- invite our listeners that maybe there was a person like that because there's really good research coming from Dr. Christina Bethel at um, John Hopkins that talks about positive childhood experiences. And so there can be some even amidst the weeds. I'm going to use your weed metaphor. I often use that too. And so just to remember that right now, if any of you are going, oh, no, I'm going back to my past. But remember some of those maybe people or things that you did that may have helped you through. Because, Michael, oh, my gosh. And your sister's name is Jennifer. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm going to say it right now. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to her. But so I want to get to the next question. This is so important because our listeners need to hear what impact did EMDR therapy have on your life? How did it change you? You know, how, how did your life change? You know, what happened as a result? So, so it, over it, to it, you. It, we're it, really we're really interested in this answer now. Yeah, you know. it, it, it's sort of like um, the, the, the simplest way I could say it is, is I had a life that was completely driven by trauma. Yeah. And, you know, when after two years with Dr. Magdavita, the first thing that went away was sort of fade away. It was this false persona. So I was able to start to live and behave and think and interact in an authentic way. The goal set, goal achieved compulsion, that went away. My complete and exhausting obsession with status and achievement. And I, I, I mean that in, <laughs> you know, in the strongest, I was an obsession, that went away. In fact, I look back at my previous self and I don't recognize that person. Um, Intimacy came into my life in it, not just, you know, in kind of in many ways. So starting with friendships that I'd had, which tended to be kind of superficial because my caregiver primarily didn't have, I couldn't have, I had no healthy attachments. So they were very fragile. So I figured things like you could never fight with a friend because if you have a fight with a friend, I'll lose the friend. And I've since learned that conflict in relationships are a, a huge part of relationships and keeping them honest and keeping them, them healthy and actually and strengthening relationships. So, you know, that's one form of intimacy that came in, you know, dating and intimacy are no longer panic inducing, anxiety provoking um, uh, situations. So I've started to sort of explore that path in my life. Um, but I have to say that the biggest thing, Elaine, the biggest gift of all was having had a brother who was my tormentor, seriously a tormentor my whole growing up. I mean, up to, it, it, through high school and having been estranged from him for many, many years thinking I would never see him. I would never speak with him ever, ever again. And he started an EMDR journey um, with thanks. Thanks again to Debbie, one of Debbie's colleagues. And we came together about uh, maybe seven months ago for the very first time. So a different, an authentic version of me meeting an authentic version of my brother. Once we were outside of that vice that we grew up in as, as kids, just choosing our own adaptation to survive that goes away and we're having the most incredible relationship that I, I never ever ever thought oh I would have and and I use a word that people kind of shocks people it's the most intimate relationship I have which is crazy to say but we have a we have a zoom call every Friday at 11 and it's usually an hour and a half and it's the most remarkable gift I, I never thought I would ever have oh my goodness talk about transformative yeah right that you could you could be with and I imagine he must have had his own set of traumas too from the family you described. Yeah, and that was when we first started talking, finding out the the love, the the common ground that we shared 
developmentally in our household, which was a complete revelation. I mean, things like, wait a minute, did you just say, and wait, hold on a second. You mean to tell me conversations like that early on that were just remarkable. Well, you know what I'm also really feeling from you right now, and I don't want to say something that's not true, but the word that I keeps popping in my head is compassion, that there was a compassionate way that you were looking at yourself, yes. Yes. that you could also look at him. And that yes. just gives me chills in my arms as I say that out loud. Yep. And that, that meaning came out. And if it hadn't been for the EMDR journey and the way that the, the memories were processed, and that he auctioned for, for, both, just, of like, for both of you. And that yeah. your journey, isn't that interesting how your journey of healing led to his journey of healing? Correct. And Deborah, I'm going to say to you, you were also a conduit of finding, you know, saying, oh, here's a person or here's a person. And, yes. um, and Michael just put his hands together, almost like in prayer. And, yeah. You know, it's like, well, it's, Elena, it's, I have to tell you, there are 36 people like my brother who are now seeing EDR therapists that Debbie has referred them to, all of whom are having unbelievable experiences. One of whom um, was, had gone through talk therapy for 10 years, finally cut the cord and is seeing an EMDR therapist that Debbie recommended and having, uh, once again, unbelievable experiences. So I'm up to 36 people now. Oh my gosh. And now with the book, you're not even going to know how many people, because you know, when you right. write a book like this, you don't know who reads it, who may never reach out exactly to yep. and so but i i just want to say tell it i want you know it's going to be important for me to ask you this question can you say your website i've said it twice in my words but michael can sure. you say it out loud it's your, pretty the website to, it's pretty easy I, to remember. I, yeah, our, we, our really, website is savor it, every word savor every word it's it's www.everymemorydeservesrespect.com what is it like to say that out loud to an international audience? Yeah. Wow. It, um, well, I'll tell you, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's almost like I don't have to even, um, what is what I tell people, if just in my circle, in my realm, to have 36 friends, friends of friends, and children of friends who are having unbelievable experiences with the indoor therapy, having read the book, and then come to me and ask me, could Debbie recommend someone for them? If I have 36 people at this point, what does that say about the rest of the world? Wow. Well, I mean, you know, again, this is going to have a big impact. It only came out in May, and I have a yep. prediction. It's <laughs> a really easy May. prediction. A lot of people are going to know about this book, and a lot of people are going to have healing from this book. And you're, and you know, the, isn't it so interesting? This is, you know, when I think about my definition of resiliency, it's, it's that, you know, we can lean into our suffering. And then we can lean out of our suffering and we can also see what else is true. Even when you say talking about your sister, Jennifer, who was always there yeah. for you, it sounds like, but also yeah. now having a brother who you now can lean in together and that you can, you know, create, oh my gosh. And he's showing us some pictures of the siblings together, but now does it, does it have a different experience for you as you look at the yeah. photo? Well, yeah. the photo, I'll describe it to your listeners. It's myself. Yes, please I'm describe it. Myself at age three with a pair of Madras bathing suit and a t-shirt on. My sister with her little one-piece bathing suit sort of pulled down to her waist. And we're putting on suntan lotion. And we look at this picture now and we say, what were we talking about? What was the <laughs> conversation we were having at that, at that moment? But yes. no, she, was, uh, she was my savior. And I also should mention, you know, my, my, my mother's mother was also a savior for me as well. Because I knew that she, she cared. She loved me. And, and uh, that was another... Uh, godsend. 
You know, I think that grandmothers, you know, we're fortunate to have a grandmother like that. I had one like that myself. And I often say that she saved me as well. That there, some, there is something about the unconditional support when you're living in a lot of chaos that can really shift your journey. But you know what also hits me, and I, I, want, I want to just ask Deborah a question. Deborah, one of the things that strikes me is when um, you were sharing the picture and that you're looking at the picture with different eyes, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Is that also something you see with EMDR, that you can look at past moments in history and see oh. what else is true Oh, yeah. Other than, can you talk a little bit about that? Just because I think that would be important for our listeners. Yeah, I think, you know, Elaine, you were talking about compassion just a moment ago. And I think the biggest shift that I see for people is they look at the same images that we started with, you know, the same images that initially brought up shame or fear or you know, self-judgment. And by the time we finish engaging in this process together, they look at that same image and they feel pride about their survivorship, or they feel deep compassion for what they endured as a child and respect for how they survived. Um, And they, you know, they feel energized where in the beginning they look at the image and they feel frozen and immobilized Um, just like they did as a child or at that earlier time, they now will look at these images and they feel compelled to go out and help other people, help themselves, fight for justice. They feel mobilized. So um, that really, that kind of um, transition or transformation is really what it's all about. Well, and you know, you say something, I was talking to some therapist earlier today, and one of the things I think is important about what you're saying is that I think that mental health therapists and their clients, social justice can come into the equation. Mm. I mean, in social justice about change, those 36 people, Michael, I mean, they have a different way of living there and talk about, you know, when we've had inequities in our childhoods, when we've been treated treated in such unjust ways. And oftentimes, you know, trauma of our parents, um, and then that gets perpetuated in us. But then there's these moments of transformation personally, but then the possibility of it in the world. And I think about this book and just the images that I've seen so far of how transformative even the images might be for people with the simple statements about what trauma is. I cannot, we have, this has gone so fast. Oh my goodness. I'm going to have to have you two on again. (laughs) Because I think there's more to talk about about. Yes. I, I want to just say, I want to ask you each, if you can give us a final message um, that you want to convey to our audience about what is important. And Deborah, I'll have you go first, but I would love for Michael to have the final word. Mm. Um, I think final message, I would say, come as you are. <laughs> yes. Um, you don't need to figure things out before you pursue therapy for yourself. You don't have to know why you're stuck or what memories you need to address. Um, You know, bring your entire hot mess, (laughs) you know, your fears, your confusion, your hopelessness to your EMDR therapist, and together you will start to make sense of it all. You don't have to do this by yourself. And, you know, when you step into EMDR therapy, you will have a partner, you will have a guide, you will have, you know, a helper at your side. I always say to my clients, I'm not going to let you drown. I will be, you know, I'm right here with you. No one was there with you back in time. 
this time around, I'm at your side and we're doing so this So you're together. no longer alone. Okay, we have just a couple minutes left. So in, in one minute, Michael, what can you say to the, our listeners? I can say it in less than one minute. All I have right. Two words for, I have two words for your listeners. Don't wait. Don't I, wait. I, 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 I went on a journey looking, looking, looking for 22 plus years through seven therapists. I finally found Dr. Magdavita and EMDR at age 61. Anyone who's listening, if you're suffering, anyone you know, your spouse, a child, a cousin, a niece, a nephew, a colleague, don't wait until you're 61. There's no need. There are EMDR therapists out there. You can find them easily. Go to everymemorydeservedrespect.com. On the home on the landing page, you can click on find a therapist and get the work, do the work, and then go on with your life. <laughs> yes. And then and what a what a meaningful life that I'm 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 hearing from you, Michael. So I just want to say as we end, thank you both so very much. And mm. Michael, thank you so much for being courageous. For, ha- for gaining the strength inside of yourself to be able to talk about your journey. And listeners, if you've had this, the same kind of experiences, maybe different, a little different, but remember not to wait. Part of the mission of Resiliency Within is to remembering what else is true in your life. Mm-hmm. Remembering the Jennifers, the grandmothers, maybe there was a teacher. Um, yeah. but also, maybe if there wasn't, there can be someone now. Yeah. And when Deborah said, I can be that guide, that if you can find a really good therapist to be in relationship with, they will embrace you and help you through that journey and that you are no longer alone and that you can create greater safety in the world for yourself. And look at that. Michael has at least 36 and probably more after today. So we'll see, Michael. So anyway, (laughs) thank you so much. And this is Elaine Miller-Karis signing off for Resiliency Within. We'll see you next week. We'll be talking with... Um, two wonderful nurses who will talk about the moral injury of being a nurse right now and how to cope with what's happening with them as a result of COVID-19 and seeing the suffering and the death they've experienced, how to get through. All right. Thank you. Till next week. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karras, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within with host Elaine Miller-Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit traumaresourceinstitute.com.